Welcome to Family Financial Views from University of Illinois Extension. Welcome, everyone. My name is Kamaya Wallace-Bichard. I'm a consumer economics educator, and I'm joined today by my awesome colleague, Kathy. Kathy, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thanks. I'm Kathy Sweedler from Illinois Extension, and really excited about today's topic and our conversation. So am I. So we have a wonderful topic for you today. We are going to be focusing on women and money. We are recording today on International Women's Day during Women's History Month. This recording will be out after today, but we are so excited that it worked out with our schedule to be recorded on this day. And we wanted to focus on women and money for several reasons. We know that women are important decision makers. We know that for women, like their work life, that provides insight into how they manage their money, their different financial practices. And we know that there's lots of data on women's labor force participation and earnings. And this, of course, will affect the way how they create like their long-term, short-term goals. And we also know that all women do not have the same cultural, interpersonal, or personal money management experiences. So that is going to be reflected in our discussion today. So we are so happy to be on. Right, Kathy? Absolutely. You know, it's great to take the moment to like celebrate things. Mm -hmm. And to me, International Women's Day is an opportunity to celebrate all the achievements of people who identify as women, as well as to reflect on some of the challenges that might be out there. But, you know, as I was thinking about in my mind, kind of processing for today's podcast, I was thinking, but things have changed. They They are better. And I'm old enough to remember challenges that I I think we're not seeing as much now for women related to finances in terms Mm -hmm. of being able to access credit on our own and go to college, which in advanced degrees, Mm -hmm. all those things, which, you know, generations one or two back was really pretty hard for people. So, um, so I'm excited that we get a chance to have this celebration. Yes, me too. And this is a great segue into talking about some of the myths and facts about women and money. So in preparing this podcast, I wanted to just explore what are some of the things that we often hear, misconceptions as it relates to like women and money. And I found a speech from a former governor on the the Federal Reserve Boards of Governors, Governor Elizabeth Duke, and she did a speech on women and money challenging the myth. And this was back in um, 2010. And I really liked this speech because she highlighted like some of just the different things that we often hear about women and money. And so one of the ones that we often hear is that women are bad at math. And this myth, of course, has been around for a long time. And we know that we hear it and like different things. And it might not be true for your life, maybe not be true for like your family, your family history, but it's one that has kind of lingered around for a while. And in her speech, she talks about the fact that there is no objective evidence that women are genetically less able to grasp math. And of course, when it comes to like the financial decision making, you know, complicated math really isn't a part of that. So in terms of, you know, paying your bills on time, you know, managing like your household income, all the budgeting piece like that, there's no complicated math there. So this kind of myth is one that one that's kind of harmful in a lot of ways to a lot of um, women. And of course, you know, women are brilliant and smart and of course, great decision makers. 
And I think that builds right onto her next point, which was that, you know, women should or do focus on non-financial household roles while the men are the ones who should deal with finances. And we know historically that this is not the way people function. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be, you know, one person in a relationship takes out the trash while somebody else unloads the dishwasher regularly. We Mm -hmm. do divide up household chores. So yes, it could happen that way, but really women have, you know, historically in many, many households have had a, you know, substantial responsibilities for finances and making those household decisions. There's a lot of managing, as we all know, to keep things running, to Mm -hmm. keep the bills paid, the food on the table, kids clothed, Mm -hmm. all of those things require financial decision-making. And so I think we need to stop and think about it before we allow these myths to sort of just keep going in our heads when we know that it's not true. Very true. The other one says that women are emotional about money. Now this, of course, I've heard this. I even heard this growing up. Lots of times I've heard this piece. And it's true that for in a lot of times when we're in situation where we have to make critical, you know, financial decisions because something has happened, right? There might be a death in the family. There might be divorce something's going on where you might have to make like a decision and there's lots of emotions involved in that. But that doesn't mean that emotions dictate every financial decision. And so these types of generalization, again, can be very harmful and misleading um, when we think about like women and money. Which kind of leads on to that idea of are women impulsive shoppers? And maybe a better way of saying it is, are women more likely to be impulsive shoppers Mm -hmm. than men? Mm -hmm. You know, because I think we all have our impulsive moment when you see that perfect thing and you know you can afford it. And so you buy it, even though you weren't looking for it. That doesn't necessarily mean that you messed up your finances. It just means it was an impulse purchase. Mm-hmm. So according to Elizabeth Duke's speech, there is no evidence to support this myth that women are impulsive shoppers. So we need to take that one out of the bucket. Right. And just because somebody might make a decision, um, you know, right off the top, like an impulsive decision doesn't make that that's the way they make every single financial decision. But we just wanted to share a few of them with you. I know there are others out there. I'm sure you can think of some things that you've heard over the years, but we just wanted to highlight those two. Another preparation that we did for this topic is, you know, it's hard to talk about women and money and of course not to look at what women actually make, right? Um, So just look at like the status of women and their money. And so for this, we wanted to look a little bit closely at what are women's earnings. And of course, there's lots of data through the U.S. Census Bureau, through the Bureau of Labor Statistics on women's earnings. And you can find that information, of course, each year quite easily. We also wanted to focus not just on earning, but how do women look as they're saving and investing and making decisions about their future and how their financial decisions now are going to impact, you know, how they're able to say retire, to vacation in the future, to do the things that make them happy. But, you know, looking closely at women's earning, the Bureau of Labor Statistics produced the data from 2020 on women's earning, and it shows that women who were full-time wage and salary workers had a medium weekly earnings that were about 82% of the male full-time wage and salary earners. And this, of course, is not surprising when we look at the statistics of the difference between, you know, women's and men's pay and what women make within a year. 
And I think it's important to point out too, that some of that is the occupations and the salaries perhaps, but in the same occupation, doing the same job, we still Mm -hmm. see that women are making less than men. Now, maybe it's getting better. Mm -hmm. We're pushing that ceiling, but we don't want to stop pushing yet. Right. Put it Absolutely. Yes. And it, and this is a challenge for women across different ethnic backgrounds and races. So, you know, we can't say that this is something that only one group of women is experiencing. Unfortunately, we see it across several different groups. Yes, we do. <laughs> all so- groups, I should just say, all groups. <laughs> So when we, yeah, and those differences, of course, when the percentages look different, when we look at comparison between, say, for example, as Kathy was saying, you know, different groups like Asian women versus Asian men, or looking at Black women versus Black men's earnings, lots of differences that we see there. And if you are interested in this data, it is easily accessible to you on the Bureau of Labor Statistics website. You know, other things in terms of, you know, the status of women and money, not just looking at earnings, but how are women saving? What does women's savings look like? And there is a 2022 article from the U.S. Census Bureau that used data from a 2017 survey of income and program participation survey. And it shows that women were more likely than men to have no retirement savings. And the data kind of breaks down a little bit just to show us, you know, women in the age group from like 55 to 66 about 50% had no savings, but that is in comparison to about 47% of men. So when we look at like that data, we both men and women, lots of women and women don't we need have, more savings. we need more savings. We all need to earn more money and have more savings and invest in for our future. But part of this is to highlight the fact that when we look at women and their counterparts, in this case, as we're looking at earnings and invest in looking at women and men, just knowing that women are significantly less likely to have more savings than men. And so just wanted to highlight those pieces as well. And one of the things that I think is a piece of that is that women are more likely to be working in occupations where there are, may not be retirement plans mm-hmm. offered to them. They may be more likely to be in part-time positions where, again, retirement plans wouldn't be available right. and more likely to be in and out of the workforce when caregiving requirements within the household rise. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that as, as women, you know, we make these important decisions about when to be in the workplace and when not to be in the workplace. And for many of us, and I know this is true for men too, but it's a little bit still emotionally different, I feel like, in that there is still some more expectations that the women would be the one to drop out during Mm -hmm. the caregiving. We certainly have been seeing some data showing that in the last couple of years that the impact has not been equal. So everybody has to make their own decisions. And I've made decisions too about when to be in the workplace or not. Mm -hmm. But to be truly informed, you need to think about not just the money that you're not bringing in right then as you drop out, but the fact that you're losing that opportunity to be putting away money that will grow over time. And so there's an opportunity cost there that we just have to really think about. May not change your mind, but be aware of it so that you can factor it in. Right. And when it comes to like the savings and investment piece as well, too, now some of this data looks at kind of single servers where it's just women who are saving or women who are saving with their partners. 
So that is also another important consideration when we're thinking about like how much do women have put away for savings. There are folks who are in partnerships and they are doing the savings and investing piece jointly. The important piece in those relationships is making sure that you and your partner agree upon what those decisions are going to be for saving for your future together and what amount you're going to be putting away and whose name is going to be on things. There's just different things like that. That becomes important. And I think that's one of those things where we don't always know what the future will bring. And mm-hmm. so let's say, for example, that a woman chooses to drop out of the workforce to have children and raise them while they're little. You still have the option of having your partner's earnings go into an IRA that has mm-hmm. your name on it. Yes. Like, why not mm-hmm. do it? Think about it. Mm-hmm. Build your own retirement at the same time you're working with your joint marriage goals. Yes, I love it. When I think about like women's status and women's status with money, you know, it's hard not to think broadly about how we identify and think about, you know, women's work, women's savings, women's goals, different things like that. And I also wanted to look a little bit closely at what research, what data was out there that focused on women of color and transgender women. So folks who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, and there really isn't a lot of research. Um, And we're hoping that will change in the future. But one of the resources that I found from the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, they did some research to the survey of 7,000 LGBTQ plus workers because they were looking at folks earnings as well. And so we wanted to just incorporate some of that in here because this becomes important as well as we're focusing on just earnings in general. And as we are, we're celebrating different pieces this month. So with that piece, the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, they found that for LGBTQ plus people of color, transgender women, men and non-binary individuals, they earn less when it compares to what they call the typical workers as part of like their definition. And so that also becomes important when we're looking at, you know, what are people's earnings and what are their opportunities to invest more and to save more and to build like the future that they want for themselves. I think these are great points to bring out. Why it's important we do have different events and days like International Women's Day Mm -hmm. to celebrate accomplishments, but also, you know, like I said at the beginning, kind of point out these challenges that different people face. You know, people have different barriers and there's so many that we can't touch on all of them Mm -hmm. that do affect people's earnings capacity. And so as much as we can encourage everybody, we want to say, hey, we recognize those. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm not letting y'all off the fact that you need to save. Um, And so, you know, I recognize those challenges. I know how hard it is. Keep working on it. You know, hopefully the next generation, it'll be easier. Mm -hmm. And we'll see more equity across the board. But the part that kind of breaks your heart is it it works okay again until you go to retire and you get older. Yes. And then without that money set aside, the quality of life can really change dramatically for people and and not in a positive way. And Mm -hmm. so that's where we see the ramifications of this just compounding in the older age. So that's why we really want to bring that to everybody's attention is that there's a reason that we need to try to think in the future, there will be a time where working just isn't comfortable, you can't do it, and you're going to need to have some money set aside. Absolutely. 
And in the true spirit of our podcast, we always have to incorporate like the family financial feuds piece. And, you know, so far we've talked about some of the myths and facts. We've gone deep dive a little bit into women's earnings, savings, investing. And now we want to just talk a little bit about like when you are a part of a household, you know, what are some of the feuds that might emerge, you know, when we're thinking about like household money management? For example, if you are in a relationship or a household, you know, deciding on who saves and how much do you save? And that goes back to a point that Kathy made earlier as well too. For example, if one person steps out of the workforce to help with, you know, childcare or other caregiver needs, making sure that that you have different assets or you're continuing to build like your financial future as well. And so having like those conversations can be tough. And we, in our work as educators, we talk a lot about communication, talk about how do you communicate with partners about money and different money topics. And so this is one where, you know, if you're a part of a household, how do you have those conversations? That is a really uncomfortable one because when you're saying hey, I want something that has my name on it. Mm -hmm. It can feel like what you're saying is, I don't want your name on it. Or I don't trust you to protect my later on down the line. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to some extent, this is where you really have to kind of educate your partner Mm -hmm. and explain how it makes you feel and stick by it. In several different times in my life, I've really had to push Not so much my husband, thank goodness, but others (laughs) to get my name on financial assets. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I've gone to buy a house and I wanted my name on the home ownership as well as my husband's, you know, that has not been an automatic ever for me. I've always had to push for it. And you just have to kind of make up your mind that you're going to do this consistently from the time Mm -hmm. you're young till as you go and make sure that you're equally represented, no matter who's making how much money on the different assets. That's probably a little bit of Kathy's opinion, (laughs) but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people share your opinion. And I know lots of times when we talk about these topics and we talk about communication, people are like, mm, easier said than done. It's sure. hard to have those conversations. And it's so very true. Even in my own partnership, this is a conversations that we've had over the years on, you know, whose name's going to be on what, who's going to be managing what. And it takes a lot of time and being with your partner, like having trust and building like that relationship, you know, that is your foundation. That's the foundation that you're building from and knowing that you want to protect your partner's future and you also want to protect your future. That's kind of how I entered those discussions um, with my partner is knowing that we are not sure what the future holds, but we want to make decisions now that, you know, two of us are going to be okay in the long run. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's easy and practice does help. So, you know, (laughs) yes. I think another really important conversation that can be overlooked by not thinking about it is to talk about finances with our daughters and female Mm -hmm. relatives or other young people that you may be interacting with. There may be a tendency to, 
unconscious bias to have those conversations more often with young men than young women. And mm -hmm. I think what the research kind of indicates to us is that often young women or women in general don't have the same confidence level about finances. We don't see that they can't do it, but they don't have the same confidence right. level as men. And that's a socialization thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have to actually consciously do things different to change that kind of socialization that we've, we've internalized over all these years. Absolutely. And this is such a great lead into, you know, additional research on just like girls and money management. And part of our work that we do as educators is to support financial literacy in youth to help them build those confidence and to make decisions now and think about like how their money decisions now can affect them overall and how they can make good decisions in the future. And some of the research that we do see out there on the role of financial literacy the role of financial socialization, it becomes very important. And it goes back to like what Kathy was saying about like that confidence piece. And we want to start early with building that confidence piece. And there's a research from Park and Colleague that focused on the effectiveness of financial literacy program, specific one that's called like investing girls in promoting like financial capability among high school girls. And this type of program, what it does is it does research to find out more about, you know, how do girls think about money? You know, what are some of the decisions they're making now about like their personal finances and they use that data to create intervention programs that help them focus more on like the positive aspects of money so they do intervention programs that help promote positive behaviors you know positive decision making help them build autonomy so that in the future they can make decisions that are going to have positive impact on their overall financial well-being so make good decisions about budgeting using credit wisely and so, you know, when we think about like girls and money and, and financial literacy, there's a lot of work that different agencies and regions are doing to help girls build those confidence. And we want to see it in all our youth, right? So all our youth, we want to see like that confidence about money. But we know that, you know, from some of the research, there are areas that we can work with like our youth or girls to, to help improve those confidences. So we got the little younger ones that we need to build up. And then yes. we need to keep reminding our older women that there's a lot of financial challenges they do need to be aware of, including the mm -hmm. fact that they may not make quite as much money, but then also they're likely to live longer. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so it looks like the life expectancy is still a difference of about five years. Mm -hmm. That's a fair amount of money for mm -hmm. living on. So we have these super challenges of trying to take not as much money and make it last longer. Yes. And so that's one of the reasons why I think finances mm -hmm. and International Women's Month really do go hand in hand mm -hmm. because it, it matters. It really mm -hmm. matters. And, you know, especially for us as folks who focus on personal finance on the day to day, like this is a great opportunity for us to have those conversations. And I know, like I said, in the beginning, all women don't have the same experiences. We are from different cultural background, ethnicity. We have different orientation to money, different experiences that has affected how we think about and how we manage money. And that becomes important part of this discussion. So learning a little bit more about yourself, your money personality and figuring out if you have other people in your life who are a part of your financial decision. So that could be partners, parents, children. 
including them in like this discussion, this conversation, and, you know, starting those conversations early with like the young ones, let them get comfortable talking about money. So if it's the fact that you do give like an allowance, you know, helping them making money decisions, like in my family, you know, I have young children who get like a, a small allowance, but they know that, okay, this costs $5 and I only have $4 right now. Having those conversations about what do you need to do to get that other dollar and how do you manage what you currently have. So small things, starting like those small conversations, that becomes very important. Yeah. Lots of good things to talk about around this topic. That is for sure. So, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I just want to remind everybody too, you don't have to learn all this all at once, you know, take a little piece, add to your knowledge, then take something else that you're curious about, add that to your knowledge. You know, there's lots of different resources out there that can help you check out our extension website. Mm -hmm. We've got things happening on there that are materials, workshops, podcasts, blogs, all kinds of things out there that you can start just adding and building your knowledge base so that over time you'll find like, Hey, I really mm-hmm. do know this stuff. Yes, and you I do. Can feel comfortable about making <laughs> financial decisions that affect me and others. Mm-hmm. Well said, Kathy. Well, this has been a really, really wonderful discussion. I love talking about this topic. And of course, this is one where there are multiple parts to it. And for our listeners, I know there's other things that you can think of when we think about like women and money, but we've had a wonderful discussion and we're so thankful that we get to have a platform where we get to talk about topics like this and and just continue on with like doing this type of work. So we're so excited to have this out during Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month to all. And thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Kamaya, you know, for including me in this conversation. Of course. Yes. Thanks. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Feuds. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.